the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our series is entitled, The Gospel Brings Freedom, Volume 1. We're looking at the book of Galatians. Today, how is one saved? Join us. Truth for Today is next. So how does one get saved? They say all roads lead to Rome, and while they may lead to Rome... All roads don't lead to heaven. There is a specific way, and Paul lays it out for us here in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. That is where we catch up with Pastor Phil Howard on today's program of Truth For Today. By the way, if you have a question for Pastor Phil, record it on your voice memo app. And then make sure you include your name and where you're calling from. Email that to tftquestions at valleybible.org. We'll get it on the air with Pastor Phil. Here's Phil now with today's program of Truth For Today. We come to chapter 3 of Galatians, and Paul in this marvelous, marvelous book in which he is saying the key word in the book of Galatians is freedom. It's used 16 times. He's trying to keep believers free. They put faith in Christ, and they were having a ball in the Christian life, and all of a sudden some brethren came down from Jerusalem and said, you haven't done enough. This believing in Christ alone is not enough. You've got to believe him, plus practice circumcision, get under the Mosaic law about your dietary rules. You've got to go under the law. And so over and over in the book, he's saying the gospel set you free. Do not be enslaved to any teaching that gets you beyond the gospel. So he's arguing it. The first two chapters, he used the biographical article and and argument. He gives his own history, how God revealed to him his gospel, how he went up and talked to Peter, how he withstood Peter, and he gives you a biographical defense for the gospel he preaches. Now in chapter 3 and 4, he becomes a polemicist. And you think he's a lawyer in court. He doesn't have a lot of nice... Uh, dearly beloveds in this. He's going right for the juggler and he is polemically defending the faith. So it's the doctrinal defense that you're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And that's what he is fighting for in this. Protestants have ruined it and Rome has ruined it by adding all the other stuff And certainly Judaism could not get a man to heaven. They said, if you're related to Abraham, you go to heaven, which is a damnable heresy. And even saved Jews know that today. Quit telling the Jew he's saved because he's a Jew. He's saved when he puts faith in Messiah. Please do that. And Jews for Jesus, God bless them. Keep fighting to say we're going to evangelize our people and quit patting them on the back and saying you're going to heaven because you're Jewish. So 
thank God for Jews for Jesus that you ought to pray for constantly. They need your prayers. And believe me, uh, they want your money. But don't get it at all. David, I said that for Dave Brickner right there. He heard it. Uh, so there's three things we want to look at in the 14 verses here. Is that uh, he's going to argue in the first five verses that faith alone gave them everything they got in salvation. And he's going to ask them six questions. Six questions. And he's going to give them the answer. Now, the thing at stake is verse 21 of the last chapter. Any method that sets aside God's grace or says that the cross of Christ is nothing is that which adds to the gospel other works to be saved. And he said, the grace of God and the cross of Christ are at stake. Now he begins by saying, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it is really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Now remember the Galatians are up here in what they believe were either French, uh, northern part of Galatia certainly was Frenchmen. They're Gentiles. They're, they're remote from Jerusalem. These people are idol worshipers. Paul comes into town preaches the gospel. They believe. They become believers. They, they give up the idol's temple. Wonderful changes. They saw God work the miracles among them. Paul as an apostle demonstrated divine miracles and even miraculous changes among the people. Maybe the gifts of the Spirit were on display in a big way among them. So they had been overwhelmed with a display of God's power. And so he asked them six questions. Who has bewitched you? That's an interesting word. It means an evil eye. And it was the word used in magic. And he's saying, who's messing with your mind by means of their eye? Who's done a fast card trick on you? And that evil eye, they've just deceived you by magical things. What's come over you? What? You're under a bewitching sorcery influence to think about. You need the law, or you come under the law to be complete. Didn't God do something among you without the law? Did I just bring the gospel and God? Who's bewitched your mind? We would say, don't let them mess with your mind. And he uses the word bewitched, an evil eye. They've seduced you. Then he asked them, did you get the Holy Spirit by observing the law? Or by believing what you heard? Now, that's an interesting question. How do you get the Spirit? I grew up in a tradition where you had to, after you got saved, you had to seek to get the Spirit. When do you get the Holy Spirit? 
when you believe. Turn to John. Let's just show you one little verse. John 7. Jesus said, I'm the water. Any man's a thirst, come to me, let him drink. And in verse 37, look at this. John 7, 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. Streams of living water. Whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Now why was it later? He hadn't sent the Spirit in Acts 2. The Spirit hadn't been sent in the world yet, right? So he tells them, what did he tell them in Luke? Hang out in Jerusalem until the promise from the Father comes and you get the Spirit in the upper room. Starts off the church. Now watch. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And what will they have to do to get the Spirit? Believe. Do you get the Holy Spirit when you get saved? I can't hear you. Yeah, you do. And how do you determine your spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12? In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, verse 11, verse 18, he gave you the gift he purposed. He gave you the gift as he willed. He gave you the, some are apostles, some are prophets, some have this gift, some have that gift. Who gave you your gift? God. Did he not? Because all of God's kids have a spiritual gift of some kind. There's no such thing as warts in the body. Everybody's got to be living and moving. Everybody's got, when did you get it? I grew up where I had to seek it. I didn't know I got the spirit the night I got saved. A little Pentecostal church, as soon as I got up, they said, now you need to get tongues. Well, I started seeking tongues. And, and I was a tongue talker for years, enjoyed it. But no one was quick to tell me that what you got the night you believed, the day you believed, how much of the Holy Spirit do you get when you get believe? You get a leg of the Spirit? You get his ear? You get all of him. He's a person. You can't dissect him. And he's telling these men, hey, how did you get the Spirit? Did you get it by keeping kosher dietary laws or by believing the gospel? By believing he goes on, are you foolish? That little word foolish there is not the Greek word moronic that he commonly used. It's a word failure to use your senses. I grew up with this as my dad's kid. If you've got any brains, act like it. Right now, we're in doubt. And he would often introduce one of us kids. He's a fine boy, but that soft spot in his head's never healed. <laughs> you wonder where we get the complexes? Did you get any brains? I mean, so many times. You got any brains? Act like it. And he'd say about like that. And that's what Paul's saying. What did you do with your brains? Why have you become so foolish to buy into this stuff that you've got to go under the law? And he's telling these Judaizers. And Peter and James and John are going to read this letter, believe me. 
Are you so foolish? Have you stopped thinking? He goes on. Are you trying to complete in your strength what God began in you by the Spirit? Have you ever seen the Christian life this way? You start out by grace, but you've got to do the rest by a lot of hard work and effort. And they'll quote, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What you work out is what God worked in. God does something in you. Now he wants you to work it out in every facet of your life. Get your salvation to your mouth. Get it to your marriage. Get it to the workplace. Let your salvation be worked out in every sphere of your life. But you can't work out what God hasn't put in. And so God puts something in us that he wants worked out through us. And so he's saying to them, hey, you begin with divine strength and the Holy Spirit. Uh, wasn't it good enough? Can Cannot the Spirit get you through arguing? We don't need the Mosaic Law. God gave you everything you needed in a crucified Savior, a risen Christ, and the power of the Spirit. It's the Christian life. It's not keeping rules. It's coming under the direction of a divine person. I was crucified. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's not one rule there. Everything's personal. A person. Christianity is personal. You know, I think some folks want to get married and what the, what the pastor ought to do as soon as they say, all right, I'm proud to present to you Mr. and Mrs. And by the way, just a moment, we have a rule book here of 10,000 things you're going to have to do to keep this woman happy. Enjoy your marriage. <laughs> it would kind of ruin the honeymoon. By the way, memorize the plays before the honeymoon. <laughs> Pastor has a series he does on marriage that we all get married with an expectation list. She has 10 things. He uses that illustration. She expects you've got 10 things that you expect. The only thing is you both have a different list. And marriage is trying to get the list to match up. His is, you remember like me telling Carolyn, all a man wants, I told her one time I thought I was brilliant, all a husband wants is all the loving he can stand, good meals, and a clean house. I was going to see who broke first, women or men. And Carolyn's brilliant answer was, what about one out of three? If I come home, the house is dirty, there's no meal, at least I know I'm going to get a lip lock. <laughs> you know, but, the, but if it's a good meal and the house is clean, you better not even be thinking about kissing. <laughs> Don't even be going there. Your meal is your love life. Enjoy. Well, he said, have you begun in the spirit and you tried to finish in your own strength? Foolish. Have you? And the word here suffered, uh, it's debated. It's the, the Greek word uh, pasco. We get our, the week passion week out of it. And, and the word uh, passion literally in the Greek meant originally to experience something. So uh, Greek scholars like Burton and Longnecker would say it really means experience because we have no record of their suffering. It, the Galatian church, you've got Acts 14 is the background, but they didn't suffer. It, 
There seems to be no persecution. So they would translate it, have you experienced so much? Which I I favor. Uh, Have you experienced so much in salvation? And when I came to you, that you're just throwing overboard for this new doctrine, you've got to add the law to really be complete. Christ is not enough. Paul is saying, hey, you experience all that you experience with no law involved. The spirit and the gospel. The spirit and faith. He goes on to say, does God give you the spirit? Notice that, verse 5. And does he work mightily among you because you keep the law or because you believe what you heard? You see the contrast? God's done something for you in grace on the basis of the cross and he's applied it to you by the spirit. How did you get saved? How did you experience what you experienced? It was before you ever met Peter, before you ever met these boys that now are telling you to go under kosher law. No siree, do not abandon what you got at the beginning. You know the most exciting Christians in this church are those who've been saved less than six months because they haven't learned all the Christian hang-ups yet of what they're supposed to act like, be like, do this. They don't have all the traditions. No, no, stay fat, dumb, and happy the first year. There'll be a bunch of Christians that load you up sooner or later with everything you got to do. Don't, 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 though. We'll call you a maverick. Stay free. Believe the gospel. Believe Christ. Love God with all your heart and sin boldly. That's what Luther said. Try that sometime. Love God with all your heart and sin boldly. What's wrong with that statement? There's nothing wrong with the statement, but just try that. Try to love God with all your heart and cuss a little bit. Try to love God with all your heart and say, you know, I think I'm, I'm ready for an affair. You can't love God and be thinking about sin. The one cancels the other. See, don't worry about keeping the commandment. Now, keeping the commandment will make you want to have an affair. Yeah, don't. You can't do that. That will immediately say, why can't I do it? I will taste the fruit of the forbidden tree. But when it comes to loving God, that's a positive command. Nothing. Love God. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you like Love God. Do you like it? I mean, just kind of love God versus don't do these 10 things or he will get you. Just love God. And he's going to say this in this book. The love of God is the fulfilling of everything the law commands. For the whole law is summed up in loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbors yourself. The way you keep God's commands is you love God with all your heart and love people. That's positive, not negative. Well, he goes on to say, you know what? You're beating up my converts and you're you're beating them up with, you're putting them under Moses. But there was a guy that lived before Moses called Abraham, 430 years before the law was given. How did Abraham ever get a righteous standing before God? 
How did God ever justify him? And justification is that judicial act of God whereby he declares a hell-deserving sinner to be righteous before him on the basis of the imputed merits of Christ. I put the definition in there for you. Memorize it before the next service. God can declare you righteous because of the merits of Christ that are transferred to you the moment you believe. Now, he goes to Abraham. How did Abraham get right? By being kosher? Let me tell you what the Jews did. The Judaizers and the rabbis of the day said this. You become sons of Abraham. They say, talking to a Gentile, that they want a proselyte. You become a son of Abraham by, first of all, being circumcised. And then two, by putting yourself under the law. Because what they did, they always ran to Genesis 17, where God gave Abraham the right of circumcision for Jewish males. Eighth day, circumcised them. It's an interesting thing. He did not circumcise and even practice it till 13 years after he had been declared righteous. Paul runs to Genesis 15, 6. One day, God told Abram when he was complaining that he was becoming an old man and he had a barren wife and he had no children, but he'd received a promise in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless all the nations through you, Abraham. Out of you nations shall come forth. And he's up here in his 80s with a barren wife. And he says, God, where are you? I left Babylon, Mesopotamia, to come over here in a strange land, and I've been walking with you. You told me to get out of there, and I obeyed you. I gave Lot the best land. I just fought a battle for him. And now I'm here in a Bedouin tent, and all I've got is a a dead wife insofar as procreation. And I've got her handmaiden, Hagar. But I'm an old man, Lord. Have you heard anything about old men having children? And God said, go, get, get outside that tent, boy. He got outside. He said, look up. He did. What do you see? A lot of stars. You know, all the lights are out. Those heavens, they just dance. Stars, stars. Yeah. Well, that's what your seed's going to be like. And, and you know, in chapter 18, Sarah bust out in a, a belly laugh. She, that's why they named her son Isaac, laughter. She said, this is a laugh. Abram said, okay, that's a promise. I believe your promise. And right there, God says, I'm going to count that to you for righteousness. You believed what I promised. Next week, I'm going to preach on, are you saved by promises or by performance? You believe. I count it to you for righteousness. Now, this is where Paul runs all the time. But the Judaizers did this. They put it together this way. Oh, no, no. Here, he believed God. But he kept everything God said, and that was circumcision, 
in chapter 17. So when they came into the churches, they said, you can only be sons of Abraham if you're willing to be circumcised. You can only be sons of Abraham if you put yourself under the law. Paul, in a brilliant argument, he says, we're not talking about Genesis 17. We're going to Genesis 15. He believed God. And when a man or woman believes God and believes his promise, he declares him to be right before God. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today. Now, we have a couple of ways to do so. The easiest might be simply visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org. You can drop us an email. We have other means of contact that you'll find there at truthfortodayradio.org. We also have a lot of resource materials available for your growth and relationship with Christ. Our design and desire is to see that you grow in Christ, grow according to his knowledge and grace. Any way we can help, well, that's why we're here. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call. 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. Please bear in mind as you contact us that this is a listener-supported ministry. As you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. Prayerfully consider how you might get involved in the ministry of Truth For Today, won't you? 855 855- 833-9864 or write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And that website, once again, truthfortodayradio.org. It is a pleasure spending time with you in God's Word. We trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Phil Howard.